0: Hello, I'm Simon Morris. As film and television productions around the world get back to, if not quite business as usual, then certainly back to business, one thing is conspicuous by its absence on screen. We're not seeing a lot of COVID in these movies. There aren't many masks on display, nobody's checking their vaccination status at doors, and even social distancing is often digitally removed. History, it seems, is being rewritten like the dear old days of Soviet Russia. How are things in Moscow? Very good. The last mass trials were a great success. There are going to be fewer but better Russians. The difference being that the mass amnesia about the last two years is by popular demand. No-one wants to relive the time spent locked away with pizza and Netflix, it seems. Let's pretend it never happened or go somewhere else. Sickness is unknown. Perfect health is the rule. And it is quite common for us to live to a very ripe old age. Indeed. And does that also apply to those who come here from the outside world? If it did not, Shangri-La would never have been built. Well, part of the appeal of the movies has always been going somewhere you've never been before, whether it's exotic fantasy lands like Shangri-La and a galaxy far, far away, or some hidden nook of our own world. But there seem to be certain no-go areas. Bring out, your do! one! I'm not dead. What? Nothing? Here's your in ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't. Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. Whether it's the Black Death of the Middle Ages or a modern day pandemic, the movies prefer to draw a veil over them. They're too random and sweeping somehow. Too real, maybe. Far better to turn to a fictional zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Who are you? I wake up today in hospital. I wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news. They're infected. Infected. Oh. Infected with milk. In fact, the worldwide flu epidemic of 1919 followed another tragedy, the decimation of an entire generation in World War I. No wonder the number of films set in that era are few and far between. But there's one out this week. My my wife and I are so happy to be here with you all here, here. and with your children who have been so good as to feel like our children. Godfrey If Mothering Sunday chooses to tell a story that previous generations tried to forget another sets a familiar story in a far-off location. <laughs> <laughs> this year, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, was the first-ever Oscar nominee from the Himalayan state of Bhutan. Heartwarming and uplifting, it really had Oscar nominee written all over it. Unlike a creepy little film from Finland, where a young girl becomes the adoptive parent of a monstrous hatchling. on joku... Scandinavia seems to be keen on body horror at the moment. Hatching was reminiscent of Iceland's bizarre lamb. But first, a film that rather belies its cosy English poster and title, Mothering Sunday. Jane, you have no family. You have absolutely nothing to lose that is a gift, and you must learn to use it. The set-up and the supporting cast of Mothering Sunday implies we're about to see something we're used to. The young maidservant, Odessa Young, sneaking off to have a fling with the local squire, played by the Crown's Josh O'Connor, is straight out of Downton, you'd think. Jane works for Paul's neighbours, the Nivens, played by Colin Firth and Olivia Coleman. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, sir. But Mothering Sunday has rather more on its mind than sentimental nostalgia. Jane may have been in service since she was 14, but she doesn't intend to stay where society has placed her. She's not sure yet where she's heading, but it's something to do with books and writing. And you, Jane, what will you do? I want to write about life. In anguish. Pleasure. The main story of Mothering Sunday takes place on one day, the third Sunday before Easter, 1924, when Paul and Jane have arranged to spend their last day together. He's shortly to be married to the more socially acceptable Emma. Good morning, Beechwood House. Jay, that you? 11 o'clock. <laughs> Not met like this before. We cut between Jane and Paul's love nest and the family picnic in honour of the engaged couple. And we wonder at the undercurrent of sorrow as the couple's parents and their friends celebrate the betrothal of Emma with the somewhat delayed Paul. Why are there no other younger people there? What a glorious day it's turned out to be. We're happy to wait a little longer for him. And he's studying, is he? That's what he calls it. The reason, of course, is that nearly all their children, everyone except Paul and Emma, in fact, were killed in the war. Even the Nivens, who have no direct connection with the upcoming wedding, were invited as honorary co-parents because their own son James is dead too. And I'm here to help you study. You're what I intend to study today. I could tell you all my secrets, all the things nobody says. He's not studying, he's just late. Don't be too cross with him, he loves you very much. Well, there's more to the story than simply the irony of the love between the unsuitable couple, Paul and Jane the housemaid, contrasting with the dutiful arrangement between Paul and Emma. They seem to be doing it as much for their parents and their friends as for themselves. Wish I could take you out, champagne and oysters. I've got to get married become a lawyer. That's what's expected of you, yes. But the film's literary origins, it was originally a novella by Booker Prize winner Graham Swift, tend to show as the action incessantly darts backwards and forwards, away from the actual events of one day. You can summon the memory, can't you, Jim? For me. For you. A blink, and we're in the village the day Jane started work at the Nivens and first met the dashing Paul outside a shop. Another blink, and suddenly it's years later when the older Jane is starting to write seriously, encouraged by an unexpected new husband called Gordon. And then we flash back to when she and Gordon met. You're a writer. Yes, I wrote. And when did you become a writer? I don't know. Yes, you do. This is not what audiences for a star-crossed lover's story set in the comfy, class-conscious world of Julian Fellows are expecting. The presence of the reliable Colin Firth and Olivia Coleman certainly reinforces that assumption. But that's not what Mothering Sunday is out to do, or at least not just that. It's mostly a story about writing, about storytelling. When did you become a writer, Miss Jane Fairchild? Three times over. The day I was born. The day Mr Paxton gave me my typewriter. And the third? It's a secret. When the film flashes even further forward, good heavens there's Glenda Jackson back after 30 years in politics. We belatedly realize the film's true purpose. But despite the best efforts of a talented team of screenwriter Alice Birch and French director Ava Husson, turning a clever book into a coherent film proves challenging. I'm so sorry, Jane, but I have some distressing news. I've been thinking it might be time for me to leave, sir. In another house? In a bookshop, sir. It'll be your greatest book. That said, Mothering Sunday is one of those films that improve in your memory. The more I think of it now, the more impressed I am by it. But at the time, I was confused by what seemed an overly complicated timeline. Where are we now? When all I wanted was to be told the story. You did not say that, though. I did say that, though. We're all so excited for the wedding. You're making us all so happy. In a book, of course, that's not a problem. When you get lost, you can always riffle back a few pages to get your bearings. But a film requires you to keep up straight out of the gate. I suspect that Mothering Sunday, like so many ultimately satisfying films, will improve on watching a second time, possibly on Mothering Sunday next year. Once upon a time... Once upon a time. Once upon a time. I know I've occasionally given some Scandinavian horror films a pretty good ride. The Innocent certainly, and that unique combination of shock and heartbreak in Let the Right One In. But I've never been a dyed-in-the-wool fan of the horror genre. Sometimes they're too efficient, a week's nightmare's guaranteed at the end of one. Sometimes they're just too stupid. Either way, not my sort of fun. Hatching from Finland seems to fall between the two. It's certainly unique opening on a too-good-to-be-true Finnish family who star in their own video blog directed by mum. on ihana ja tässä nähdään tavallisen tavallista ja miten ihanaa se voi olla. The relentlessly upbeat mum calls her reality show Lovely Everyday Life, and everyone in the family has to join in: browbeaten dad, resentful ten-year-old Mattias and his older sister Tinja. Tina is clearly being groomed to be mum's surrogate and is bullied into a gymnastic career, like it or not. But one day, just as they're filming another episode of Lovely Everyday Life, they're interrupted by an invading bird. It flits around the lounge, breaking things until Mum captures it, kills it and chucks it onto the organic rubbish. Well, no sooner have you said, ugh, to that, when things start to go a bit Scandinavian. Tina wanders outside that night. Is she dreaming or is this real? And discovers the bird has laid a small egg outside. She takes it inside and stuffs it under a giant teddy bear. Every night she looks at it and each time it seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But now Tina is invested in it and whispers, I'll take care of you. Hatching seems to want to compare Tina's gentle egg care with her awful mother's relentless bullying. Mum is determined her daughter will win the upcoming gymnastics competition, no matter how hard Tina has to work for it. Tina pitäisi treenata oikein extra kovaa että the party. Meanwhile, the egg is now almost as big as tinia. It's got to be a dream, surely, until one day it hatches. Of course it does. I mean, this film isn't called Just Dreaming, is it? It's about now that hatching starts to get a bit weird. Yes, all right, it was pretty weird before, but I was sidetracked by how different Finland seems from how I imagined it. It's sunny and prosperous and blonde and upbeat. Until things go wrong, of course. For instance, don't get on mum's bad side. You win games. You can see that on tosi mitä person. She knows what she wants. But I digress. You're probably more interested in what hatching's been hatching. I won't describe her, partly so as not to spoil the surprise, and partly because, honestly, I can hardly bear to think of her. The newcomer is called Allie, by the way, and Tina has to spend most of the movie hiding her from the family. Despite her somewhat alarming appearance, certainly nothing to do with lovely everyday life, Ali is devoted to Tina, Rather too devoted. It's just a matter of time before the monstrous Ali goes to extremes to protect her foster mother. And now Allie starts changing, becoming less and less bird-like and more and more human. And every step of the way, Hatching resolutely refused to carry me with it. After about an hour, I was watching it through barely parted fingers as I wondered what the horrible Allie might do next. Now, in fairness to both horror fans and the horrorphobic, I should say that overt gore and mayhem are kept to a minimum. Hatching prefers the psychological approach, meaning deeply disturbing and creepy. And while I concede it's not stupid, it may even have something to say about bad parenting. It was still never going to be my idea of a nice night out. Happy <laughs> This year's Best International Film Oscar nominees came from pretty much where you'd expect. One from Italy, two from Scandinavia, the eventual winner, Japan's Drive My Car. The odd one out was a film from Tiny Bhutan. It's called Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom. (laughs) Bhutan, as the film itself concedes, is one of the most remote places on earth, situated at the top of the Himalayan mountains between India and China. No wonder young Ugyen wants to get out. He's in his fourth year of a five year teaching course, long enough to know that teaching isn't for him. He wants to go to Australia and play guitar in pubs. <laughs> His boss gives him one last chance. She sends him to a place called Lunana where they need a teacher. Lunana is famous in Bhutan for being even more remote than the rest of the country. <laughs> Ugen takes the bus as far as it goes then he's met by guides from Lunana with their horses they set off on a six-day hike pretty much uphill all the way on day 2 Ugen loses the signal on his phone goodbye 21st century essentially <laughs> The village is so pleased to have him that they meet him on the road and walk the last few hours with him, like visiting royalty. Even someone as self centered as Zhugeen feels a bit embarrassed, but one look at his primitive quarters and he tells the village headman he can't stay. He wants to go back immediately. The headman tells him he'll have to wait a few days, but while he's waiting, perhaps he could put in a few days' teaching. And he's introduced to the nine adorable Lunana kids, led by the cutest eight-year-old in Bhutan, one Pem Zam. She plays the class captain, also called Pem Zam. And wouldn't you know it, those little Lunana tykes start chipping away at Ugen's selfishness. It's really only going to take one more little push before he stays at the school all season. And he gets that push when he goes for a walk up the mountains. Who's that woman singing, he wonders? Well, it turns out to be the local yak herder, Saldon. And I have to say that yak herders are rather more statuesque and attractive than the job description suggests. Part of the job, we're told if we feel like going in for yak herding ourselves, involves singing. A good yak herder sings loud and clear songs like the famous Yak Lebi Lada. Kachira <laughs> he as a musician himself, remember his wish to go and sing in Sydney bars, Eugene is intrigued by both the tasty Saldon and her catchy song. He realizes it might take a while to learn it properly. Well, as a reward for lingering in Lunana, Saldon gives him one of her yaks. You can keep Norbu in the classroom, she says, where he can act as a teaching aid. Good morning, Norbu. Good morning, (coughs) Norbu. Lunana, a yak in the classroom, kept reminding me of other films. The Shangri-La of Lost Horizon, of course. Bits of local hero at times. All those variations on To Sir With Love. I suspect this might not be a coincidence. Everything about the film seemed geared to buttering up the Oscars. Right down to the bittersweet ending featuring a reprise of Yak Lebi Lada. SONG Would I include it in the list of best movies made around the world last year? Well, no, I wouldn't. I might put it on the list of all right, I suppose. All right if you like yaks, is what I'm saying. And on that recommendation to minority tastes, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, botulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.